0: Université Parisien en Sorbonne. Okay, good afternoon everyone. Uh, thank you Juliette uh, briefly uh, describe what I'm talking about and what I'm interested in. Uh, so, what do we mean by transportation network? So, it can be in fact many things. And the fact of transporting something which is either energy or information or individuals, this is very general. And in fact, if you think about, there are many, many cases where it is indeed a transportation network. So so they appear really almost everywhere. And uh, I think there's still a lot of work to be done about the formation and evolution of these networks. So I will give you some examples, And we still, in my opinion, at least, uh, we still don't have a very convincing model of the formation and evolution of these uh, networks. Apart maybe some specific cases. And of course, it's important to understand the structure and the evolution of these networks in order to understand the dynamics on these networks. So it can be congestion... Uh, on these networks, on transportation, on the road network for example what is the structure of road network or, or subway for example what's the traffic, can we optimize the structure for example the robustness also is very important or do we make robust networks so this is very important for example for power grids or can we optimize the robustness of power grids with respect to local failures this, this is very important and very recently even we saw that networks actually are really everywhere and are also coupled so there is a coupling between different networks and actually this coupling can uh, interfere with the robustness and this is a recent result of last year which showed that even two robust networks when they are coupled together can lead to a system which is even less which is less uh, robust actually so it's very important to understand the structure of these networks and so on and in fact i came to these problems with disease spread because the disease between humans, let's say infectious disease, spread uh, uh, thanks to these uh, uh, networks. So, either, For example, for pandemic spread, the airline network is the major uh, uh, way uh, by which the flu, for example, spreads in the world and, and so on. So it's really an important thing. So let me just go and give you some examples. I will start just with infrastructure. So. Of course, even in biology, this is a very simple example, here the point of this transportation network is to bring the water to some specific point in a leaf, for example, and you see a very nice example of a a planar network which is formed by these veins. So this this has been studied a lot, in fact, by physicists and also mathematicians. What is the structure of this uh, uh, venation pattern? How does it grow? And there are people working on computer models which uh, simulate the evolution of the of the leaf even of the whole tree or the, the whole plant so it's a it's a whole industry here uh, we have also this is this is a subgraph of the road network actually, here it's a tree, so it's all the goods starting from the state of Indiana in the US and the width here is proportional to the to the flow of goods which are transported so you have a a nice flow and you see that indeed the the amount is decreasing in fact with distance so you transport a lot of goods let's say at a a small scale and the further you go the smaller the, the width of course so, this is one example of a, a transportation network. Uh, no this is no no, 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 this is just starting from Indiana and uh, a very important infrastructure network which this, this one is the distribution uh, current distribution network, and it will be more and more important in the future with uh, the smart grids uh, problem it's a very project of the future so you have some power plants so actually it's very complicated usually you don't have a single type of nodes you have the power plants you have substation you have relays it's a it's a huge mess actually and <coughs> the goal of this network is to distribute the, 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 the current let's say in all uh, ohms let's say and of course the stability of such a network is of utmost importance and with smart grids It will become even more complicated because locally, people will be able to produce some current and uh, (coughs) this brings a lot of trouble in the stability of the system. And this actually is not known. So we really need some uh, theoretical studies about the impact of intermittent sources on the stability of the network. Um, so let me. So this is really. So this is another power grid. This is the U.S. power grid, which is well known because you, you remember maybe the blackout in uh, some years ago, which uh, which happened, which started here close to Michigan, I think, and and some big part, large part of the East Coast was without current, and uh, this was a good example of how a small event could trigger a cascade of failure, and at this time. I must say that it's still not very well understood. So the blackout and controlling blackout, it's still, you have the two views, you have the simplistic view of physicists, which is far too simple, and you have the very complicated view of engineers who are doing tons of simulation with very complicated models, but there's nothing in between which allows us to have a, a real, let's say, almost simple understanding of what happens. Oh, I guess I... Yes, this. uh, There are very few, actually. I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. There are some lines, uh, maybe some strange lines. I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. Um, So, of course, you have other distribution and transportation systems. So I will go very fast. This is the last uh, slide on this example. Pipeline, of course, is very important. So we we heard about a little bit when the gas was transported from the far east, and this can bring many problems. But it's also a nice planar network and what's the stability of this network for example and there's another one that i didn't show which is uh, that i'm not showing is the water distribution system which is also a network in cities and uh, there have been a few studies about the stability and robustness of this type of distribution network too which is very important too and which is under surveillance of course for some Uh, terrorism reason, because you can always imagine and try to find out where's the best point to put something bad in the water in order to pollute it and things like that. So anyway, so these are a few examples of transportation networks, but I will focus here on uh, transporting individuals. And uh, so actually there are many networks Uh, which correspond basically to many many different transportation modes and uh, which uh, act at very different scales. So I will go uh, more deeper in these details, but uh, of course you have the global scale which is basically dominated by the train. Imagine, think about Europe, for example, there's a whole train network between different countries. Of course, you have the plane, the air travel network, which spans the global, which spans the the whole uh, Earth. And if you go down, you have different, in scale, if you go down in scale, you have different uh, transportation modes, so the car, the train, and so on. So you have different networks, actually, which are not independent and uh, which act at different scales and which are coupled. And this is relatively complicated and not very explored, actually, this coupling. So let me very quickly go give the main example. So the global scale, this is a network we studied a lot because of the pandemic thing. If you want to understand the spread of a pandemic, you have to understand how the people are traveling in the world and indeed, Uh, It has been shown that this is, the air travel, is the major dominant means of uh, uh, disseminating the the spread of flus and all this pandemic uh, (coughs) disease at a a global level, of course. Uh, uh, Things are more complicated at a a smaller scale. Here, this is another transportation mode at a smaller scale. This is the train. European trains. So you see it's a relatively nicely reticulated network. So i show you other example. Uh, other things are, are, have been studied also here. This is a study we made some years ago. It was the network of, uh, <coughs> of movement between different cities. So the commuters, you can construct the number of commuters going from city I to city J. And this is, uh, you can study this network, and this is independent of the, uh, whatever the transportation mode in this case. And uh, at the smaller scale, almost, uh, you have the road network. So this is some kind, it's not the ultimate small scale, but uh, the road network inside the city, inside the urban area. This is uh, some uh, very important uh, network, which th- there are many studies on the structure, and I, w- I will come back on that a little bit later. Uh, let me finish with uh, uh, the smaller scale which has been studied so far. Uh, and this, is, this was a huge simulation, agent-based uh, simulation, done some years ago in the Los Alamos uh, by some people in, in Los Alamos. It's the <coughs> network of uh, movement. So whatever the transportation network here so we mix all transportation mode and we just look at the number of individuals going from one location to the another one inside the city so this is a huge uh, agent-based simulation and uh, uh, at that time it was a simulation on portland oregon so a city and they looked two million people going uh, moving uh, among uh, two hundred thousand locations restaurants, malls, movie theaters, whatever, and they had the second-per-second second, uh, estimate of the position of each people. And so this was ca- kind of huge simulation integrating real demographic transportation data and simulation. So it was... It's yes, yes, this one, yes, this is my... It's a mixture. This is not Portland, but uh, but it's really at the level of the individual. So actually they call this uh, TransSim, Like the Sims, uh, maybe you know this old uh, video game. You really follow each person. And in the second step, they put some disease in this in order to see how a disease spreads inside the urban area. Which so far, in fact, is an open subject. We we really don't have many clues about how a disease spreads inside the city. Which is really the major problem now in, in modern epidemiology. But this was a a first attempt. Uh, So here, as I said before in the introduction, I will focus on one transportation mode, which is the subway. So it's still the urban scale and it's one particular transportation mode. (coughs) And here is um, the uh, Tokyo network. And uh, I will really focus on on the subway network in different cities and uh, the nodes here are station, and you have a, a link between two stations, it's just when, I mean, sorry, the nodes are the station, and you put a link between two stations if there is a direct connection between these two nodes. So, there, there have been some studies on this uh, subway network, and I will come back on that a little bit later. So, if you don't have any question, I will try now to, it's, uh, 7, 10 kilometers approximately. I don't know if the, if the, yes, this is the Yamanote line, so this is the ring that we, actually, this will be one point of the talk, is that there is this, uh, this um, typical structure that we see in every uh, uh, large uh, subway network. Uh, you have this uh, kind of ring line, and you have some branches and things like that, and this is of order 10, 10 kilometers, 5, 10 kilometers, basically. Uh, So, of course, there have been a few studies, but let me try to come back on the more general uh, thing about the evolution of transportation network. So, as I told you, there are many networks, many scales, depending on the transportation, but uh, I think there are still many questions that are not unsolved. First, we would like to know, when you see the evolution in time of this transportation network, uh, can we extract some stylized facts, some simple things that we would like to... Know, that you can talk about uh, with from friends, uh, what are the status facts in, uh, in this problem? Do we, and can we trust, I mean, do we think that there's some emergence? And in fact, I will come back on this problem. Uh, this is, a, I believe, a general problem with the urban system and transportation network. Uh, uh, there is some planning, at least at the local level, on or, or a short time range, there's some planning, some people decide to, to do some things and, 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 and things like that. So it's more a top-down decision thing. But you also have some many little local decisions which could, which could in principle give rise to, to emergence of something more macroscopic in the, in the spirit of complex system. But I believe that in all these urban systems there's this balance between top-down and bottom, bottom-up decision which is not so clear so it's uh, uh, for example, Osman in Paris at certain point decided to to make these huge avenues and things like that because congestion was too uh, too strong people it was impossible to to move in the Paris of the mid 19th so can we really describe this as a complex system, or do we have to to include some some planners in order to describe the evolution of the system? this uh, in my opinion, is still an open open problem and so, so, what are the principles, really, of formation, evolution of these networks? Can we really make a little simple model, let's say, of the evolution of these networks? It's not clear. What are the relevant parameters and so on? It's, it's, to me, it's, it's not clear. But things change. So, this is, these are, to me, the, the main question. So, of course, there are many problems. First, we need data. And the data for network are usually known, but the evolution of network is always a problem. We don't have so many data, and we have, I mean, it's coming now, but uh, 20 years ago it was really difficult, uh, or even 10 years ago, so now we have more and more data, and with GIS uh, uh, methods and things like that, uh, we start to have enough data in order to have good statistics. Because you have to realize that, for example, a large subway network is something like 200 stations around 200 stations, and this never, so it means, what, few hundred links, so it it means a few events, let's say uh, 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 10 lines approximately, so it's not a huge statistics, if you want to compute distributions and things like that, networks are usually too small. For example, if you think about the, the Barabasi-Albert uh, scale-free network, for example, you need to have a size of, uh, let's say, 100,000 nodes in order to see the nice power law in the degree distribution. Here we have networks made of 100, 200, 300 nodes. So It's very difficult, actually, to get some good statistics. <clears throat> then we'll see that uh, uh, another problem is to uh, think about the parameters you want to measure on these networks. And this is not completely obvious because there are so many things to measure. These networks, they are networks, they are in space, and they evolve in time. So if you don't pay attention, you can measure hundreds of parameters. So what are the good parameters which really contain some meaningful information? So, It wouldn't be fair to talk about that without mentioning that it's an old problem which already excited uh, the people, in particular in the 60s and maybe before, uh, (coughs) from quantitative geography. And there are some models, I'm not going to describe them here, but 63 years, a little model of uh, road development in underdeveloped countries, so it's uh, TAF, Moril, actually Moril made different things. And there's this... Little paper by Sheer and Livingston in 2009, which is, uh, I can give you the reference, but it's nice because he's, he's giving these references and describe a little bit, uh, gives the main reference of, uh, of, uh, of what these people did at that time. So here is another example, for example, it's Gansky, and this is the evolution of the Sicilian road network. <coughs> so it's a little, uh, little model let's say applied on a certain uh, set uh, of vertices and uh, if I'm uh, this is the result of this little simulation let's say compare with the actual network and it's not that bad actually it's uh, uh, for a little uh, at that time you know with I don't know if they had, uh, they had computers but maybe with uh, with cards, perforated cards or things like that <laughs> so it's really that, that was really uh, nice even in 65 I didn't know you have some uh, uh, Monte Carlo this is really simulation of road network around the central node by Monte Carlo procedure 65 so it's really uh, uh, so it's really uh, people at that time were really productive and really uh, uh, were really uh, doing uh, very nice things so for example uh, let me finish by giving you the still moril this is a last example, on the left is the simulation, no, left is the actual growth of (coughs) of the railway network in Sweden, actually, and the simulated growth on the right. So people were really already working on that uh, in the 60s, so it's not uh, not a new problem. So, uh, actually, uh, and I tell you what change may be, but, uh, uh, so more recently, So if I jump 30 years, of course, this is not exhaustive. There are many other references, but uh, for example, here's a more recent paper by Gastner and Newman. They worked on a little process of local optimization. So the point is you put a new station and where does it connect to? And they use some local optimization process by saying, oh, it will connect. To a connected point to the network by minimizing some function so it's some kind of local optimization and by doing this you can grow the network and so this is i think uh, so this is uh, which one this is the commuter rail in uh, boston and their d and this is their model applied to the same set of vertices so here they just they just simulate the connection actually but not the location of the nodes they take the same location of the nodes and they look, oh, does it connect? So it's not a model from scratch where you put the, what everything is. <coughs> so this was in 2006. Another thing on the road network, this is something we did with uh, Alessandro Flamini. So this, this is another transportation. This is the road network. So here also I think we made some progress. It's also some based on some local optimization. So here is the growth in time of some uh, street network so this is also by, based on local optimization <coughs> so this, this was in 2008 so this is just a selected uh, partial view of, the, of, of what happened so what changed since the 60s in fact in this field well, in my opinion uh, again uh, first we have more data we have better and faster computers this, this really makes a difference uh, we have, uh, they were working on nodes, on networks with 20-30 nodes we can do hundreds of nodes integrating many many data, traffic and whatever so we really have now data, I mean, computer capacity and data, better, better data availability I think what changed a lot also is that we have a better knowledge of networks I think these last 10 years let's say from the first paper by uh, watson strogatz in 98 uh, <coughs> up to now and with the, with barabasi and albert and we have a better view of the classes of the different networks and the effect of different factors on the on the structure of network it's really uh, uh, before the let's say 98 99 people were really thinking with the paradigm of random erdos renyi graph and people were really thinking with this and doing variants of the Erdos-Renyi graph. And in particular, social scientists. And of course, they, <coughs> they are not happy with that. Of course, this, this creates a lot of tension. But it was true. People were doing... Someone like Wasserman, uh, for example, in this social network book, is <coughs> doing many complicated things, but which are basically variants of the random graph Erdos-Renyi model. So now we have a better broader view perspective on networks and I think we are more at ease and uh, this is really I think the advantage we now know better about the effect of space the effect of cost the effect of uh, whatever you like on the structure of networks this is really what they they didn't have this in the 60s I think and (coughs) also emergence properties and this is maybe what what physics, statistical physics played a little role here is that this Going from, let's say, microscopic interaction to global behavior, this is something which is uh, uh, really, how can I say, which uh, which uh, which probably was uh, uh, well studied in, in which, were, which was well studied in statistical physics, and this is probably one of the, the let's say the biggest uh, uh, <coughs> what biggest thing that statistical physics brought in this uh, complex system thing is that really we know, well let's say we know, we have a better idea of how to go from microscopic to macroscopic and what is important and what not and things like that so this, this process is really, and this is really the root, I think is really in statistical physics and, and phase transition and all these things there, there's another thing I, I believe also is new and really comes from physics is the modeling process Is that modeling now, there's a really big problem, is that anyone can make a model. It's very easy. The problem is that a model with more than five parameters is probably not a good model. And so, and I I really, of course, it's always a fight. But for example, with economists, economists, a model with 15 parameters, that's not reasonable. So the goal is really to try to, to find an agreement on what is a good model or can we uh, check it against experience and uh, <coughs> how many parameters do we need to describe a system and I think we really one day maybe we should uh, do some conference on modeling and what is modeling what is good modeling and I think there will be many fights but from physics what we know is that you start with the simplest even stupid model and you compare it to, experience, to experiments. If it doesn't fit, then it means that you missed something. And you, you really start from the simplest and you build the model and put more and more things until you reach some agreement. This is basically what we do. And this is very different from what is done in epidemiology, or traditionally, or in economy, where you f- first put all possible ingredients, and then you see what, what happens. So I think this, is, this could be one, uh, one thing that the physics could bring here. So let me go now to the core in this last 20 minutes so, uh, <coughs> to what I wanted to talk about. So I think we are still far to have a broad picture of all transportation networks so we can f- in the first time focus on, on subway system. So this is a work done with Camille Roth, Sun Kang and Michael Batty and we put it on the archive uh, last week. And the problem is really to uh, understand the evolution in time of these different subway network in the world so again in order to be fair i found this uh, so it's not a completely new problem actually this is the underground rail network and this is uh, done by a paper by cop in 67 i wasn't able to uh, to get this reference it's some Master thesis or something like that, but it's very difficult to get. But at least, again, in the 60s, people were looking at that, I think. Yes, 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 exactly, exactly, which I couldn't get. But uh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Um, so but see, so you, we see the evolution here, and, and uh, so maybe he did this by end actually. So it's really, so it's not a new problem. So the, the thing is. Can we quantify the evolution of this? Can we say something quantitative about the evolution of this network? That's the, the whole point. So let's start with uh, some static properties, simple properties of this uh, subway network. So we first focused on large networks. And when you have small networks of 10, 20 stations, it's not really it's hard to say something really relevant. So we focused on the larger station, which shows... Networks, the major networks in the world with more than 100 stations. So here you have a dozen of such networks. So the second column is the number of uh, stations. So you see Tokyo has 229, Seoul uh, almost 400, New York City is the largest in terms of number of stations with more than 400 stations, and Paris is almost 300 stations that we kept in the data. So there, there might be little differences with uh, so these are the two 2009 data so this is the number of station in 2009 and <laughs> number of lines typically is around 10 for all these uh, so you have on average let's say about 10 lines per network and so they are in most continents so b- m- many of them are in, in europe of course some in asia and uh, one only. We kept only one in uh, is New York City in, in North America. And so there are some simple properties. Um, I will show you some examples. But you can. What are the first things you can measure on the subway network? So of course there is the uh, inter- average interstation spacing. Spacing. So how many kilometers or meters between two stations on average? This is this L1. Of course, the total length is also interesting. The total length of the network is actually related, in some sense, uh, to the cost of the network. This is really the number of money, in some sense, you have to inject to construct this whole uh, uh, network. And there is another thing that you can do in order to have a first grasp of this network, is to compare the total length to the total length for the corresponding regular lattice, which has the same average degree and is in the same area. This is something that you can estimate uh, relatively easily and which is given here in terms of the number of stations, the area of the system and the average degree. It's a very simple uh, calculation, so this would be the total length of a network, which is basically a regular lattice (coughs) uh, connecting all these uh, uh, N stations. And so this, the ratio of the total length to this total length for the regular lattice will tell you if you are far or not to a, to a regular lattice or regular or, or heterogeneous are you? and so few let me just go through a f- few examples let's start with Paris Paris you see that <coughs> uh, actually Paris is the one with the smallest interstation spacing with an average of uh, 600 meters <coughs> it's, the, it's the denser network on average in the whole, I mean, in this set of dozen uh, networks is the the one where you have the the best service, actually. Every 600 meters, on average, you have a new station. Uh, The ratio of the total length over this value for the corresponding regular lattice is very small, which indicates that actually it's relatively far, from this point of view, from a regular lattice. You have some heterogeneity, and we'll see that uh, this is in contrast with Osaka, let's say Osaka, uh, has a larger interstation uh, uh, spacing, a little more than one kilometer on average between station, but this ratio is the highest, largest for the for our set, and <coughs> is almost 0.9, which means that actually the this network from the Uh, 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 let's say from this global point of view, is very reticulated, very close to some kind of regular uh, lattice and is the least heterogeneous in some sense. So that's the the, the first point. Uh, Let me give you another example. Uh, Moscow is uh, the network with the largest uh, interstation spacing. So uh, the... First, this ratio is again small, which means that it's a relatively heterogeneous network. We are relatively far from some regular lattice, and this spacing is very large. And this is uh, uh, basically due to the branches, but I will come back on this. On all these branches, you have a large spacing because you are in a less dense area, and the spacing there is, uh, is larger. Let me show you another example. One, of course, which is important is Shanghai, because this is the most recent one, but it's the... Uh, the fastest in development, uh, I will show you some data about the velocity of development, uh, Shanghai started in '95 and is already in the top 10 of the largest uh, network, <coughs> and one consequence in fact is that the average interspacing is very large. Cannot build so many stations. Paris is a very old network. You had time to add stations and, and do something relatively at a fine level. Here, you have 1.5 kilometers between every station on average, and it's relatively heterogeneous too. Uh, so, this is a very interesting network, but uh, <coughs> which surprisingly you will see in the data is in the end not very different from the other. I will come back on that. Uh, New York City is very specific, very heterogeneous. And New York City actually is a little bit of a problem. But the geographical constraints are so strong in New York City, uh, due to water in fact, that this network is a little bit bizarre, let's say, in comparison with the other, because of all the topo let's say geographical constraint which doesn't exist in Paris or you have just one uh, you have the Seine and one river and that's it. Here you really can go on the west you have it's a huge uh, mess this uh, Uh, another example just to play with that Uh, Mexico City is a little bit bizarre also is relatively heterogeneous so we are far from something nicely reticulated or or we are far from a, a uh, a regular lattice actually is one of the m- most heterogeneous network and I don't want to just let's go fast on the network that you probably know uh, this is uh, London of course which is also one of the oldest uh, network and which is well developed uh, Madrid also is a very important uh, uh, subway, Tokyo and just a little point in order to avoid any confusion is that here I showed you the maps so these are the stylized maps when you come in a city you ask for a metro map this is of course very different from the reality so uh, this is one point for example uh, this is the map of uh, Moscow And uh, the reality is more something like that. So you don't have, of course, a nice circle and things like that. And in fact, here, you cannot see really because you have all the names and so on. So if you take just longitude, latitude of station for Moscow, this is what you observe. So there might be a little bug here. But you see that it can be very different uh, from the map. So actually, it could be misleading if you want to extract geographical information from the metro map. You could have the impression that, uh, oh, these two stations are very close, I could go by walk. It could be very misleading, actually. So <coughs> there's a real... Uh, so you have to keep in mind that what we see but with maps are not the real, are just designed representation of, uh, of uh, networks. There's a whole book by uh, Mark Ovenden, I think I gave the, the, um, the reference, with all the subway maps of the world. It's a very, very nice book of, uh, with basically 100 networks, I guess, something like that. And really discussing the design of this, how to represent the, the metro and the subway, because it really evolved. And now what you can see, I don't know if you see it, but there's one kind of general global agreement. For example, in Madrid, you see that now, and this is the same for Paris, you have only horizontal and vertical lines and 45 degrees lines or or plus or minus 45 and so on so you don't have other type of lines so this is the general rule of design but of course it's obviously different from the real spatial network so for example here this is Paris the real network of Paris so it's very different when you're used to the map, it's really different. If you keep even, it's even worse when you keep latitude, latitude longitude, it's, it's something like this. So uh, keep in mind that what you see on the map is really different from, from the actual spatial network. So these are some simple static uh, facts. Let's go on the dynamics. So I don't know... This is going too fast, I'm sorry, but there's no way to change the rate of the GIF animation. Um, so this is Berlin, so you see the evolution from, uh, well, you see, you can guess the evolution from 1903 to 2009, one uh, century of evolution, and <clears throat> there are a few things that you can see, that there are some branches evolving, and then there's this kind of central region getting uh, a- appearing at a certain point and getting denser and denser. And, uh, Maybe on Paris, I don't know. In Paris, it's it's worse because it goes even faster. But there is, again, this idea of this center at certain point. So we have this core region, which is getting denser and denser, and uh, branches evolving. Of course, it's going a little bit fast to see, really. Uh, here's another example of uh, London. <coughs> but again, you see that you still have what should emerge in some sense that you there's some general structure appearing here, it's no proof but you have this central region which is not circular but which topologically defines something, one can be defined and some branches going out and growing I, I, I come to that I come to that, yes and uh, Tokyo, there are some bugs at the beginning but uh, again you have some branches here and some local, some core so Let's go over simple properties again, dynamical simple properties. So you can see here, this is the initial date of this network. So you have very old networks, New York City in 1878, London 1863. Uh, uh, So these are really century-old networks. And uh, you can compute the average number of new stations per decade. And uh, you find something which is of the order... (coughs) Sorry, average number of stations per year, of new stations per year, and uh, you see that it's it's of the order unity, two, three, four, basically, for most networks, so on average over this century, over one century, you have two, three stations per year which are built on average, of course, and uh, two big exceptions, Shanghai, which is 15 stations per year on average, so this is really an exploding network, and... (coughs) Seoul too in Korea is very fast, it's about 11, 11 stations average per, uh, per year, new station per year. Uh, of course, uh, there's some dispersion to go fast, uh, this is an average velocity, but uh, uh, just one word, uh, the, the, in fact... The velocity is not constant, and usually it's larger at smaller times, so at the beginning there are many stations which are built, and then after you just add a few stations and things like that, and it's going slower and slower. And uh, so in fact you have large fluctuations also from one year to the other one. So you have to keep in mind that there's no steady building of the, of the, of the, the subway, sometimes someone decides to, to build many many stations and some other year nothing happens and I finish on this, is that there is, you can count the number of years during which nothing happens, and uh, it's always about 60%, so 60% of the years nothing happens, no new station, and this is uh, relatively constant for all networks. Well, I, I come back on this partially, yes. So now if you now let's go a little bit further, let's see the time evolution, so you could just look, this is a very simple graph, in fact, you can see the number of new stations, the fraction of new stations per decade, and of course this is something which is smaller and smaller, meaning that of course after a certain time the network is relatively large, and since you are adding just a few stations, the fraction of station you add is always smaller, but this... Start to give a first end towards the existence of some long time limit. So you're not building thousands of stations for a network which is made of 100 stations. So you're really adding smaller and smaller fraction of the network. So this is the first, uh, uh, the first simple uh, uh, thing. Now, let's measure other things. So I just would like to mention two things: is that these networks are not simple networks; they are spatial networks so this is an additional complication that the nodes are located in space and space is important the topology is not enough the fact that there is a station there is not the same as it's here so it's really you have to take into account space in this network so this is a very important thing and usually actually these networks are uh, planar they are in a plane they are embedded in a plane and usually are planar or almost planar actually Paris is not planar but uh, almost let's say and (coughs) Of course, this is important because in a topological network, the connection between one node and one node could depend on many things, but could exist in principle. In space, no. If two nodes are very far apart, the probability that they are connected is very small. So this gives some structure. So space is really, in some sense, defines some cost, and this will, of course, uh, govern the structure of the network. So this is an important thing is that if you take the adjacency matrix, for example, of this network, you don't have the whole information about the network. You also need the position, the location of the nodes. So it's a spatial network. And in addition, and this is also a modern uh, problem, these networks are evolving in time. And this is a rather modern problem, we don't have good ways to describe the evolution, the time evolution of networks in general. So there are many papers in this last uh, year, and last last years, let's say. (coughs) But here we have a time-evolving spatial network. So actually, it's not obvious what to measure. And there are many things, and too many things that we could measure. Obviously, the usual stuff is not very interesting. The degree distribution is not interesting. So the the scale-free network and so on, obviously, these networks are not scale-free. This is, you cannot have huge degrees because, I mean, we never saw one station with 100 connections. So basically you have very strong physical constraint, which means that the degree distribution is very limited. You have degree four, five maybe, but that's it. And moreover, there are, these are mostly planar networks, so the, there's a theorem saying that the average degree is less or equal than six. So anyway, you can't have huge, you, can, you cannot have fat tails, and things like that. The distribution of degree is totally uninteresting. The clustering coefficient also, the average shortest path also is not very interesting. So what we have first are the usual measure for planar networks. For example, the number of loops, the cyclomatic number, or number of faces also. These are interesting things, and I come back on this. And of course, spatial measures are also important, total length we spoke a little bit about, and then spatial extension of the network. Because as Cecile said, you could have, let's say something, a center which is relatively small with huge branches, or the opposite, and this will be different. So in order to, let's say, in order to have some idea, we need some, some of measures, we need some idea. And by inspection of these networks, maybe you notice that there, there is some general structure which appears, which is some kind of, let's say, universal template here. It's this kind of structure. Basically for all the subway network that we have, we have this type of structure. So basically we have some core, which is defined as not belonging to branches. Or if you prefer, you have branches coming from the suburbs with terminal station. And at a certain point, you can define a core, which is the set of nodes, which are not branches quickly speaking, let's say. If these branches can even duplicate and, and there's a fork here. But the main idea is that the general structure that we expect by visual inspection basically, then we are going to make the measure, is this structure, a core, so there's a ring of station. The ring in some cases can exist, in some cases does not exist as a line. For example, the, the Tokyo network, there's really a line which is the Yamanote line, which is a big circle. But in Paris, no. In Paris, we don't have an external ring doing the whole line, the two and the six. But they are not defining the ring in this sense. They are a little bit inside. So we don't have a real line, let's say in the sense of a metro, subway line. But this is the general structure that we have. And from here, there are many things, so if things are a little bit clearer. we can measure different things. so what we measure first is characterizing this core, so the core you can obviously compute the average degree, which is you know related to the number of links and number of stations in the core, and this parameter alpha, for example, but you could measure another one, so this tells you how dense is the is the core basically, it's between 0 and 1, this parameter and you compare in fact the number of loops to the maximally connected planar graph the graph is planar so you cannot connect everybody you have to respect the planarity and this is the maximum number of loops that you can make. So this is really for a planar graph it's really between 0 and 1. So this will tell you basically how dense is your core and how far you are from the maximally connected planar graph if this is one, for example, it means that whatever, you have connected everything that you could connect, and that's it. Now you could, con- you could characterize, you have to characterize the branches. The first simple thing is to look the number of stations, for example, the fraction of stations which are in the branches. So just the number of stations in the branches divided by the total number, that's it. So this parameter, it's not spatial, it just tells you What's the percentage of nodes which are in the branches? Do we have overdeveloped branch or overdeveloped core? This parameter beta will tell us that. Then some spatial information. (coughs) And for this we take... So you can define the barycenter of all stations. This is easy to do. Interestingly enough, it's just a small remark. The barycenter is actually stable in time. It doesn't move for most of the network. Paris, it's between Chatelet and. Uh, it's around Chatelet, actually, the, the barycenter. And it doesn't move in time. It's very stable. And you can compute the average distance to this barycenter from all stations belonging to branches or to the core. So this basically is the average distance between the barycenter and the branches. It tells you basically how long are the branches, basically. And this is the same for the core. It tells you, it gives you the typical, the average extension of the core. So if this parameter eta is very large, it means that you have huge branches and a very little core. Okay? So with all these parameters, actually, this is the, the conclusion we... We have so far is that you have a pretty good idea of how is the network especially topologically if i give you these four parameters basically you can draw me a a reasonable uh, uh, graph which is uh, what we observe so let's uh, let's see how they evolve in time these parameters first let's see the average degree of the core so these are all the networks in color the black line is the average. So, relatively uh, surprisingly, there are some outliers. Of course, this is uh, this is Moscow, and the one below is Tokyo. But basically, yes. What's on the next? next? Oh, this is the percentage of um, of number of stations compared to 2009. Sorry. So it's basically time, but counted in percentage of the. So uh, when it's 100 percent, it means that all stations in 2009 are here so it's instead of time we plot instead of percentage and because of course the time evolution for each network is different so you can plot things versus the number of stations which is not exogenous uh, exogenous factor uh, controlled factor and so you see that remarkably basically it's very reasonable i come back on the dispersion in a minute but most of the network they have A very small dispersion around this value for the core which is of order 2.5 basically with some outliers (coughs) which is a surprise you could have you cannot you cannot have huge numbers but you could have a a much larger dispersion now this parameter eta which is the uh, again the size of the branches over the size of the core uh, as an average of uh, order 2 so basically it tells you that on average the size of the branches is twice the size of the core. And this for most uh, networks, the dispersion is larger here, and uh, the extremes here are again uh, Moscow, and the other one below and Osaka. But there's some kind of uh, similarity in the numbers. And uh, (coughs) if you look the number, this is the parameter beta, is the number of points of station in the branches the fraction of station belonging to the branches, here, again, I will come back on the dispersion, the black line is the average, and so on average, it goes to something like 40%, a little bit more, 40% and something, and with a larger dispersion, and again, uh, Moscow is a bad guy, but actually, all these networks, except two, three networks, you have nine, 10 networks, which are in a reasonable small range, which tells you that basically, about 40% of the nodes are actually on branches for most of these networks. And if you plot the dispersion, you can look the dispersion of all this curve versus time, you observe something like this. <coughs> so for the core, this is the relative dispersion for the core. So it's a small value, it's 0.1, it's relatively constant. I must say, the, for beta... The number of the fraction of station in the in the branches it decreases up to 0.2 something, and so future will tell us how. Uh, maybe eta is more problematic. We don't see a clear decrease, and the value is still 0.3 for the relative dispersion. So we still have fluctuation around this. Uh, uh, <coughs> I mean between among these different networks. But still it's not a crazy thing to say that they share similar feature and that they go in the same direction. And this is the point. So maybe at this point we cannot talk about a universal single limit, but we can we can speak about a long time limit for all these subway networks, which basically has this value of beta of order two, let's say, uh, eta, the ratio of uh, uh, length of, of order two also, and a core which has a degree about 2.5. So it's really remarkable knowing the difference in, in history and cultural differences and so on. It's really remarkable that we have this uh, kind of convergence to something really similar. So let's, let's finish with spatial properties because this, 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 it was fun to, uh, to, to get this paper. We can even look something more. And in fact, in the 90s, the big time of the fractal geometry, or after the big time of fractal geometry, Ben Gigi and Daoud in 91, made some fractal measures on the, um, the Paris subway. And for this, they counted, so you take the barycenter, you, <coughs> you look the number of stations in the disk of radius R. Uh, I don't know if here, so you have the barycenter, you look the radius R, and the thing of if you have a fractal here, and you count, you count the number of stations, or the number of points, or whatever. And the thing is that if you have a, a fractal set, this is scaling as R to DF, which is the fractal dimension. That's it. It's one way to compute the fractal dimension. So when you have something completely homogeneous, the fractal dimension is also the Euclidean uh, dimension, which is 2. Okay, and sometimes it's less than 2, and this was the big surprise of fractal uh, uh, geometry. So they did this, and uh, they saw that at a short scale, for R not too large, it's going like R square. So if you increase, if you take this radius more and more, the number of stations inside this radius grows like the square of R. Exactly like homogeneous, if you put points with homogeneous density, this is what you will observe is a behavior in R square, in, in two dimensions, of course. In dimension three, of course, if you put point at random in a sphere, you will observe something which is R cube and so on. And what was puzzling at that time, and really difficult and impossible to understand in fact with fractal geometry, is that if you look at much longer scale, so really R far, far away, they observed something which was R to some power, which was very small they fitted it around 0.5 which is extremely difficult to understand in terms of density and things like that the thing is that with this simple template that I gave you these values are actually quite easy to understand and let me first and I will finish with that uh, let me first show you what we observe so this is the measure of for all these networks of the number of nodes of station inside, the radius of uh, r. And you see that we observe this first regime, basically, for this is in log-log, for all the networks, which is consistent with an exponent 2. And then we have something which here grows, which is not a saturation. Of course, the father, uh, it could saturate at certain point, but in principle, it grows and grows. There's no reason that this thing finishes. So here, actually, you cannot see it, maybe. Uh, yes, I have it. For example, for Moscow, I have this first regime, let's say, with exponent 2, and here I have a different regime, which is of exponent 1, let's say. So for Paris, of course, this exponent Ranges are relatively small, so we don't have a big precision on these exponents. For Paris, you would obtain something like 2 and something like 0.5, like uh, Ben Gigi and Daou found in 91. So how can we understand this with the, the, the thing, the core and branches? So in fact, it's very simple. There is a core of a certain size. Inside this core, the density is uniform. It has some density, raw core. So, then n of r is just the density times the surface of this disk, which is pi r squared. This is the number of points. If you have a density inside this thing, which is rho c, which is the number of points per unit surface, if this is constant, you'll just have the number which is going like r squared. That's nothing new. Now, if you are, so if I define this rc, let's say, as the size of the core, after this I have some branches, if I believe in this picture, and I have NB such branches, and I have at a certain distance R, so E is R, I have a spacing between station which is delta of R, which can change in fact. So in this case, if you believe this uh, picture, The number of stations at a distance r, when r is large, is all the stations that you have inside the core plus something which is actually the distance divided by the typical interspacing times the number of branches This is typically the number of stations which are on the branches And then the behavior of this interstation spacing will govern the behavior of the number of stations versus the distance I know that for the last minute of the last speech, it's a little bit tough. But what you can show easily is that if the spacing behaves like that, so it increases, usually what you see is that on these branches, the interspacing, the interstation spacing, is larger and larger. Usually it grows like R to some power, in fact, what we saw in our data. Even if the, we have few stations at large distance, so the plots are not super nice. But if... The, on the branches, you have this behavior for the interstation spacing, then the number is going like r to 1 minus tau, where tau is this exponent. And what we observe is that basically for Moscow, this exponent is almost zero, meaning that for Moscow, the interstation spacing is almost constant on the branches. It's probably for some political reasons they decided to put this wherever they wanted and for paris you indeed observe something which is of order 0.5 so and then you recover the growth as r to the power 0.5 which was unbelievably difficult and impossible to understand in terms of fractals and and things like that so we have here a natural explanation of the of this result and i think this really is in favor of this picture which is kind of Uh, which seems to apply to all world uh, subway network that we observe. So here's my last last slide. Sorry, I'm a little bit late. (coughs) So it really seems that we have a convergence to some kind of unique long-time structure for all these networks made of a core and branches. And basically the fraction of branches station is of order 40%. So you have almost one half of the station which are on the branches. The spatial extension is of order 2. So the size of the spatial extension of the branches is twice the core. So for example, Paris, it's of order 5 kilometers, uh, the core, the size, which means that on 10 kilometers, you have the branches. And this works relatively well. The average degree is of order 2.5, sorry. And (coughs) which is not a super huge surprise. If you think about the core, you cannot have... You have simple station of a degree 2, then connection of degree 3, or usually 4, 3, you don't observe them. so And you don't have so many, so basically the average degree should be the first estimate, stupid, naive estimate is between 2 and 4, of course, for the 3. Here it's little less, it's over the 2.5. It's still increasing with time, so we could uh, in principle uh, imagine some convergence to something larger than 2.5 to 3 and so on. And As I said, the fractal—I mean, this kind of fractal behavior—is now well understood within this picture. So let me finish with two perspectives. So it seems. So here I focused on the on the long time limit. Of course, there is this whole intermediate dynamics, and which seems to be. And actually, we didn't find something really clear, but we have these different layers of growth of branches, then. Densification of cores and again growth of branches and things like that. So, these are it seems that we have these two main mechanisms. At a certain point, someone decides, Oh, we have to, to go further in the suburb, let's construct, construct longer branches. And at a certain point, you decide, someone decides to, to make the core a little bit denser and to add either a line or station and things like that. But Can we say something general which applies more or less to all networks? At this point, we we don't know really. And uh, there's another thing also is that the core itself grows. And this is what we see with the new project. I don't know if you saw that. The new project of the Grand Paris. Uh, The new lines are given. We know the, the, the final picture. And so we have these branches. And clearly, they create some connection between these branches. And this is how the core actually grows. uh, But again, maybe some some more quantitative uh, measure would be nice, but it's it's not that easy. Uh, Of course, here the goal is to find something which is relatively independent of population activity, density, and so on. So this is very far from the usual theory which speaks about population, distribution of population. If you have many people somewhere, maybe you will build... uh, Uh, a a subway station, if there's a subway station new people will go there because it's a nice place where to live and so on so there's this interaction coupling between population density and activity density and the structure of the network which doesn't appear at all here but is it really necessary? I don't know, maybe not maybe not Uh, (coughs) So and then again there's this importance of planning it's clear that over one century one guy couldn't plan for the for the whole structure of the network, except in some countries, maybe in Moscow, or they decided over 50 years we are going to build this and there. In China, in in Shanghai, it started in 95, so they might have a longer term and planning might be more important for this network. So we won't we might see something very different in Shanghai, for example. But the, the importance of planning versus, uh, let's say emergence is unclear at this point, and of course a minimal model at this point is still uh, missing, let me finish, I don't know if you see where, well. this is from this book of Marco Wenden. he finishes by, this is the world subway, which doesn't exist of course, would be nice to, to see, here's Paris, here's Madrid, here's Mexico, New York and so on, so thank you. Yes, yes, but this exponent is really difficult to see in terms of, of density, actually, because you have just few lines. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know, I, I prefer, I, I mean, I understand the 0.5 better by saying, okay, we have a spacing, which has some typical behavior, and few lines going a, there. But, but it's, a, it's a matter of choice, I agree, if you use two words uh, of dimension right one. Yes, what is not trivial, though, is the, the behavior of the spacing between station with distance. Uh, Moscow, it's constant in Paris, it grows. That's that's probably related to population density or things like that. Yes, that's not trivial. I agree. I agree. It would be nice to do uh, the the data. I'm not sure uh, uh, already here the data. Actually, there's the for every subway in the world. That's crazy. There's one Wikipedia per page per subway, and then there's one page per station. So it's it's crazy. But every station in the world basically has a web page with coordinates, latitude, longitude, opening date, and sometimes a little picture, sometimes the history, if it's an interesting station, every station almost in the world, it's completely crazy, so then of course you have to, uh, of course you have to import all this, make a file, and it's a mess, but, uh, so from this you can construct the history, but bus, yes, it's more flexible, and uh, that's true, it's true, it's true, it would be... I think in, in Lon- maybe in London there are some buses data or I don't know if TfL or historical data. Historical data, yeah, I don't uh, know. Th- that, that's the point is that we actually after the watts paper and so on, we fought like crazy for network data, and now it's easy to get. <laughs> but now network data in time, that's really that's that's a problem. Even even simple things like road network, for example. But, you know, if, even if you have satellite images or picture, you have to convert this, I mean, it's a huge work. So it's a, the time evolution indeed is the, is the problem. Now, all this is a really metro subway. It's not a light rail or things like that. It's not, it's, <coughs> okay, that, that we, we had, at least it was relatively well defined across different cities. Because then if you start to include some kind of light uh, rail and things like that, it becomes a little bit messy. For example, Tokyo is a huge mess. You have different light rail, rail, and stuff, and and so at least this is talking about metro, subway, really, not not RER or light rail uh, like. But it could, uh, on a larger, on a much larger scale, I agree that at certain point you have to include uh, some light rail. I agree. Now I guess this is what limits the size. Ultimately, the size of the metro network is limited by the by the time you spend to go to the center, typically. Which has to be bounded more or less. If you believe that the time is approximately constant to go to work, so the travel to work journey is approximately constant. Don't you have to use another technology? And this is basically what happens in Paris with the ROR, You need something which goes faster to keep the same time. Uh, so it's, it's clear that it's limited. In fact, there will ultimately in the metro there will be some saturation. Let's say, and you are in or some interconnection with another network which is not metro anymore but which is light rail or things like that which is what will happen with the Grand Paris actually they will, they will extend the f- line 14 from Olympiade, where we are now, to Orly and then from Orly, so it will be nice, it will go to Villejuif and blah 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 to Orly and then there will be this uh, light rail between Orly to Versailles through Saclay and CEA and Polytechnique which is very nice, <laughs> is one of the good things of Sarkozy, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> and so we we'll have. so then you will, you will have this interconnection at Orly, this airport, from the metro to the light rail, because it won't be underground, of course, which goes to Polytechnique, Saclay, and saint Quentin, and so on. So, of course, this is, no, no, I agree, this will be important for, for future...